0: Welcome to Looking Deeper, the podcast for the preaching ministry of Berean Baptist Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. My name is Marcus Little, and I'm the senior pastor of that congregation. We are of the conviction that the people of God, the Spirit of God, and the Word of God are enough to bring about the purposes of God for our lives and for the world. Because of that, we view preaching not as a one-way activity, but as a conversation. Please feel free to join us in that conversation by emailing me at marcus at bereangr.org, or through our Facebook page, or better yet, by visiting us in person sometime for our Sunday services. We meet at 10.30 a.m. at the corner of Coit and Sweet in Northeast Grand Rapids. For now, I trust that God's Spirit will speak to God's people through this part of God's Word. Merry Christmas. It is a good word that we celebrate each and every week, and I have to tell you, uh, as I feel most Sundays... Uh, I have encountered a good word to share with you, but we've already heard so much of the gospel, the good word this morning. And uh, early in the service, that first song and then seeing all of you come up with your ornaments, my heart's about right here. So if I start to Creek, Um, just know that it's born out of a place of deep love for the gospel and for this fellowship of people who are united by it. And so it's a good morning, and I am blessed by the good word and by all of you. So last week, we talked about Jesus entering the wilderness and coming out to be baptized by John the Baptizer and this voice that spoke to Jesus from heaven. And I said at the end of the message last week that. Like Jesus, we are called, and I am calling us, our leadership is calling us, to enter a wilderness of sorts. So we're actually gonna start this week with a now what, which may seem a little strange, but we are going to do it anyway, because this is what we are after in this Advent season. How is it that we can seek and encounter the presence of God? The Nativity story, the Christmas story, is about God as the song said, running from heaven to us with mercy in his eyes. We want to encounter that. We want to make space for that. Advent is a time of preparation. And so we want to, as a congregation, enter into that wilderness. And so we talked about the fact that Jesus enters the wilderness deliberately. It's a choice. He leaves Nazareth and Galilee and crosses the Jordan and goes out to John in wilderness. And so we need to make a choice, a deliberate choice to go out to where God's Spirit is at work, to enter into the region that God's Spirit is at work, and that oftentimes that space is away from the things we ordinarily associate with God's work. So it requires a deliberate choice, a disruption of our usual patterns and rhythms one of the interesting things that I came across as I looked at how Jesus goes out to the wilderness is that he does it when he comes from Nazareth to be baptized by John, but then repeatedly, not only in Mark's gospel, but in all the other gospels, we read that Jesus was frequently going out to, and our English Bibles usually translate it lonely places or desolate places, but it's the same word. Jesus often sought the wilderness, He often sought to get away from where we would think the profitable space of ministry was. He seeks to get away from the crowds who are coming to hear his teaching and to be healed by him. And he's often withdrawing to the wilderness. And those select few that he calls to be disciples, to be with him, he has joined him in those lonely places, those desolate places, those wildernesses, knowing that it is there that the foundation for our spiritual life is to be found. And so regularly and repeatedly, this is not a one-time deal in Jesus' life, in other words, and I think that gives us a pattern, that in our lives we're to be seeking out these wilderness spaces. And so I said that what we need more than anything else is to hear God's voice speaking to us. And so I want to begin by sharing with you some further details of what it is that we're suggesting that we engage in Over the coming weeks. If we want to hear God's voice, there are other voices that speak loudly. The word that we have sung and that we have heard read and that I hope to share with you this morning, that good word is not the only word alive and active in our world. There are other voices that speak, there are other words that come to us. And so we are calling us as a congregation to enter into a season where we drown out, tamp down, Turn the volume down on those voices. And I think we all know that those voices primarily come from these little things in our pockets. I have found for myself that there is great profit in having seasons in which I step away from platforms, whether it's social media or other types of media. And that's the kind of thing we want as a congregation, for you to consider to engage in, we're talking about January 1st through 16th, a 16 day period, and we're gonna ask each of us to consider what is the source of voices in your life that might drown out the voice of God, that might compete with what it is that God is trying to say to you. This is the kind of fast that we are suggesting. There's no requirement here, there's no one size fits all sort of approach. But for many of us, I feel that we need to hear from God clearly. And so stepping away from some of these things is significant. That may look like putting boundaries on particular devices. It may look like large stretches of a day where you don't engage with certain things. It may look like for the whole 16 days, you cut certain things out completely. It may be streaming platforms, it might be social media platforms, it might be a lot of things. That is up to you. You know, and this is where I would challenge you, you know what those voices are. I don't know for each one of you what it is. And it's the thing that you probably feel, even right now, perhaps a slight, like, well, I'm not going to do that. I couldn't possibly do that. Let me just encourage you that whatever the that is at the end of the I couldn't possibly, do that. Because that's the thing that is most competing. Now, here's what I want to be very clear about. None of the things that I'm talking about are inherently sinful or problematic. Otherwise, I'd call us to cut them out completely all the time, 24-7, 365. The point of a fast is to step away from things that can be good and profitable and useful in order that they maintain their proper place and do not drown out the voice of God. We're going to be supplying over the next week. Tomorrow in the Monday email, if you get that, be sure to take a look at it. It'll give some further instructions and suggestions and resources. Next week on Sunday, there will be some resources out on the table for you to take with you. Again, there's no requirement. There's no like, yep, I checked these boxes and did it the way it was prescribed. We're just wanting to resource you because I understand that for many of us, this is unfamiliar. This is something new and different. We want to ensure that you're able to do it so that you can profit from the experience. And this is something that we need to do together. This is something that we're calling us as a congregation to step into. And so on the 16th, that last day, that's going to be a Sunday, our service that morning is going to be different. It's going to be a time of celebrating and coming together and sharing what it is that God has said and done. If you were with us last summer in 2020, most of our services over that course of the summer were times of testimony, We exercised that muscle. It was a muscle that early on it was clear we had not exercised very much as a congregation, but by the end, we got pretty fit with that muscle and we were being really blessed by the things that people were bringing and sharing. And so that service will be really short on the 16th if people don't prepare and come with what God has spoken to you. But I'm very confident that God will speak to us and that we will have to sort of cut off that time for the sake of the volunteers in the treehouse Because of how much God will bless us with his presence. So that's what we are looking forward to. And last week we talked about this voice from heaven that spoke over Jesus This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This voice that we want to hear that speaks these words of affirmation and love and acceptance and relationship. And the wilderness sounds like a wonderful place. Why would you ever leave? There's more to the wilderness. And that's what we're going to get into this morning. I need to be honest with you because if I'm calling us to enter into a wilderness together and your expectation is that this is going to be this wonderfully spiritually uplifting experience of just hearing the love of God and that's all it will be, um, I would be doing you a disservice and you will be disappointed because the wilderness is also a place of pain and suffering. It is a place of danger. The wilderness that is in view in these passages in Mark's gospel is most likely this place that we have a picture of here known as the Wadi Kelt in Israel. It's in the region of Jericho. You can see it's a place marked by these steep canyons. This brook that flows through the bottom of it makes for this very steep canyon that constantly has shadows cast about on either side. And it runs between Jerusalem and the Jordan River by way of Jericho. It is most likely the setting that Jesus uses when he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. I always imagine that the road that the the, uh, traveler that gets robbed and beaten up on was like this highway in the open country, but that's not good territory for bandits. It's hard to hide in open country. This is a territory ripe for banditry. And this is, in in fact, probably where Jesus sets that parable's scene. The second way that this territory shows up is most likely in Psalm 23. David was familiar with this wilderness area. This is where he spent time. And when he talks about the valley of deadly shadow, it's most likely this kind of place that he has in mind. And tradition has it that this is the wilderness where we will find Jesus entering in our passage this morning. It is a place of danger and suffering. Even today, the Wadi Kelt is dangerous. I had the great opportunity in high school to go to Israel as part of an archaeological dig. And then we got to see some of the country uh, on the weekends. And we went to the Wadi Kelt with our group, about 30 of us. And they told us as soon as we started down the trail, you can hike it. um, And it's a beautiful hiking trail. They said, don't separate from the group. Now, I was one of the two teenagers on the trip, and so as soon as we were on the trail, of course, we ran ahead because we were excited for the adventure of the thing, and we rounded a corner, and we were separated from the group. The group caught up to us, and the leader walked right up to us and got right in our face and said, you cannot separate from the group. This is a dangerous place we had thought he was talking about the danger of being kind of you know cliff on one side cliff on the other and you know we thought well, well we're you know capable of walking on a trail and not falling to our deaths we said there's another danger here this is an area that is active with bandits and with terrorists and it is not uncommon for people to get shot on this trail well that got our attention we stayed with the group the rest of the time The next day we were in Jerusalem and I saw a newspaper with an account that within the last couple of weeks that in fact had happened. And it continues to happen from time to time in this place. Don't separate from the group. If we're going to enter the wilderness then, we need two things. We need companions. Don't enter the valley of deepest shadow alone. And we need guides. So one of the things I want to encourage you to do as you think about entering this wilderness in January is to get a wilderness buddy. Now, I've talked about the danger of of these things. We're going to try and separate from these things. But setting up a text thread with one or two or three companions so that over the course of those 16 days, you can share, here's what God is doing, and remind one another of what it is that we're trying to seek out. Companions are vital. We need to do this together, not just on our own. But we also need a guide the wilderness is a dangerous place, I want someone who's been there before. And the passage that we're going to look at today, Jesus serves as our guide. Hebrews 2.18 tells us that because Jesus suffered when he was tested, he is able to help those who are also being tested. And so we're going to talk about our guide, Jesus. Elsewhere in Hebrews, he's called the pioneer and perfecter. Of our faith. The one who's gone before us, who's done what he calls us to do. Remember that God does not ask us to do anything that God himself is not committed to. We see that most clearly in the person of Jesus. Jesus steps into our shoes, performs what it is that humanity is supposed to be and to do, does it himself, and then calls us to join him. So he serves as our guide. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, and I was joking with Gary uh, earlier this week. This is the first time in my time here at this church that I've preached on less than three verses. And it was three weeks ago that I preached on less than four verses for the first time. And the margin of where I've preached, uh, the volume of what I've preached, is sizable. You know that I'm used to taking large chunks of scripture. Nine chapters at a stretch is not uncommon. Two verses today. The message will still be just as long, don't worry. (laughs) So we've talked about that as Jesus enters the wilderness or engages the wilderness, that each of the episodes is made up of three steps. There's a movement, there's a medium, a way that Jesus engages with the wilderness, and a meeting. And so I'm going to read these two verses and then talk us through those three things. Mark chapter 1, verse 12, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tested by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. The movement. Last week when Jesus was baptized, he deliberately chose to go out. He entered the wilderness by choice. The movement this week is that he was cast out by the Spirit. You heard the version that I read say driven out. The language is literally cast out out. This is the implication of our choice. If we choose to enter the wilderness initially to hear God's voice, we often find that then we are cast out, we are pushed, we are driven. The Spirit of God takes us further in the wilderness than we were necessarily willing to go. We say, this is, this is interesting, this is compelling, I'll go visit John and be baptized and hear the voice from heaven, and, and maybe I'll just go home. Or I'll stay in that wonderful place, but God's Spirit often drives us further into the wilderness. It is a surrender to God's leading that our baptism represents. And God then sometimes leads us into these places that are painful or dangerous. This is the implication of our choice to enter the wilderness initially, is that God's Spirit often takes us further on that journey than we were initially perhaps willing to go. There's a necessity to it. This is essential. And so it's common through all the wilderness narratives that we see in scripture. The people of Israel, right, they cross the Red Sea and they immediately are on the other side. They have entered into the wilderness that God has called them to And their expectation is that they're simply going to walk from there into the land that God has promised them, into that land of blessing. They hear the good word at Sinai, you will be a kingdom of priests, and they march towards Canaan, and they expect that it will be easy. And when they discover that the land of promise comes after testing, they waver. And so God says, if you will not be tested by those in the land of Canaan by the task of taking possession and I will test you in the wilderness for 40 years. And so God takes them back into the wilderness for far longer than they thought they were going to be there. David chooses to follow God's call as king, but finds himself driven into the wilderness by Saul. Not for 40 years, but for a length of years. He's driven into the wilderness and tested there repeatedly. Elijah, who chooses to follow God's call, to set himself up as a voice against the voice of Ahab and the false prophets of Baal, when he finds that the test on Mount Carmel does not result in national revival and reformation, is driven by God into the wilderness to be tested, to see if he will stand the test. All of these figures in Scripture find themselves after willingly aligning themselves with God and his purposes, driven against their will into the wilderness. I said a few weeks ago that I find the moment that we are in is a sort of wilderness. It has all the marks of wilderness. It's a place of pain and suffering, restriction and lack, and things that we wish were not so. And it certainly has not been of our choosing. But I encouraged us to see this moment as Scripture sees such wildernesses. As something to embrace. As something that is not because God has left us, but precisely because God is trying to accomplish something in us and for us. And So we need to consider, is it possible that God's Spirit has cast us into this moment? And if so, for what reason? For what purpose? Well, that brings us to... The medium so the movement is cast out by the spirit the medium is that this is a place of testing you've heard me articulate this already the spirit of god cast jesus into the wilderness to be tested some of our versions read tempted and the word for tempted and tested is the same word in greek i think it makes a difference how we understand it at different points And I think for Mark, this is a testing moment more than it is a tempting moment. Tempting implies that the devil or someone is trying to get us to sin. And that's never positive. That's not something we're to seek out. But testing is something that is repeatedly spoken of positively in Scripture. Romans 5, James 1, 1 Peter 1, all speak of the joy that we should feel when we are experiencing testing. But this is something that while we are not to seek it out necessarily, we are alternately told to pray that we not fall into testing, but also to embrace it when we encounter it. We are not masochistic as followers of Jesus, seeking out suffering we are to embrace it when it comes because there is a value to it. There is something that is produced when we are tested. The image here in Mark's gospel where Jesus is cast out into the wilderness to be tested is not so much focused on what we're familiar with from Mar- Matthew and Luke's gospels that give an account of this dialogue between Jesus and Satan, where Satan tries to get Jesus to do things that are against God's will for his mission and his purpose, Mark's gospel sees this more in terms of an arena of combat. In the same way that Roman emperors would cast prisoners into the arena to do combat, that's the image that I see here. It's interesting that the word cast out that is used is the same word that is used over and over again when Jesus casts out demons from a person. And interestingly, the wilderness in Israelite thinking is exactly where demons dwell. And so it's as though the Spirit of God is saying to Jesus, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now get into the arena to do combat with the demons. Go be tested against those who are hostile to God's work and ways. In the book of Leviticus, we read a very fascinating ritual The day of atonement there are five animals involved in the day of atonement but one of them doesn't get killed one of them gets the sins of the entire nation put on it and then is sent out into the wilderness where azazel this goat demon dwells and it's as though leviticus is saying sin is and the work of the enemy, the work of Satan and the devil and his minions is, a, is rooted in the wilderness. That's what goes on out there. And so Jesus is being cast out into hostile territory. Very different from the wilderness where God's voice speaks and says, You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is a place where Jesus can expect to encounter hostility, pain, and discomfort. And indeed, the text says that that's exactly what he encounters. He's to be tested by... Satan. Satan is a Hebrew word that simply means adversary, someone who is set up against you. The Spirit of God sends Jesus into the wilderness in order to engage with this adversary. We make a lot out of this adversary oftentimes. We talk about Satan, we talk about the devil, we talk about demons. It's interesting that Matthew and Luke refer to the individual that Jesus encounters as the devil. Only Mark calls him an adversary. In fact, Mark never uses the term devil in his gospel. He only ever uses the word Satan. And one of the places that he used it, Dr. Gombas referred to a couple of weeks ago, is in Mark 8.33. And I think we have that verse up on the screen. This is after Peter has confessed that Jesus is the Christ. And then Jesus begins to say, and the Christ, the Son of Man, is going to go to Jerusalem and be crucified and killed. And Peter says, may it never be. Peter rebukes Jesus, is how Mark says it. And so Jesus, turning and seeing his disciples, rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, you adversary. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of humanity. I want to suggest to us that when Mark tells us that Jesus went out and was tested by an adversary in the wilderness, that here in Mark 8, he's being tested by an adversary. and That adversary is one of his own disciples. But Peter also is being tested by an adversary, and that adversary is himself. I don't think we need to worry too much about what a spiritual entity that is demonic might be trying to do. We got enough trouble going on inside, all on our own. We are our own worst adversary, and our trouble is often of our own making. And we see this repeatedly in the wilderness accounts in Scripture. Israel didn't need the devil to come after them in the wilderness. Ten times they grumbled against God all on their own. Questioned God's purposes. Is God really good? Is God really for us? Leeks and onions and garlic in Egypt and here, nothing but this manna. Grumble, 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 grumble. David, in his wilderness, faces a moment where he doubts that God will ever keep his promise to make him king of Israel and remove Saul from the throne. And at one point is ready to slaughter a fool who's insulted him, giving in to rage and anger because he doubts that God's promise is good. And Abigail reminds him and he passes the test. My favorite, though, and the one that personally resonates with me the most as I think about the wildernesses that I find myself in from time to time is Elijah. Elijah driven into the wilderness. Elijah, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. I'm the only one left, and nobody else gets it, and everybody's rotten and miserable, and I'd be better off dead. Mm -hmm. That's me. That's me in the wilderness. I don't need Satan to put me there. I get there all on my own. We are our own worst adversaries oftentimes. And so the testing is to root that out, to name it, to see it clearly for just how absurd it is. And the thing about that is it takes time. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days, Mark tells us. And what's interesting in Mark's gospel, again, the way that he relates it, it seems as though the testing is going on the whole 40 days. The other gospels say Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, and then after he's not eaten for 40 days and he's been out in the wilderness by himself, then Satan shows up and tempts him. Mark presents it as 40 days of just constant engagement, constant struggle, and I think there's something to that for us. We want the quick fix. We want to believe that I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to pray this prayer, I'm going to you know, show up to this conference, and then that'll straighten it all out. And I'm here to tell you that that's not how God wired human beings to be. Anything that we end up becoming is a result of an investment of time. We do not become the people that we are overnight. And so we have to be willing to be in the wilderness for longer than six hours. We can't just go on a nature walk and come home and expect that we will be changed. Now, 40 days in scripture, 40 is just a number of completions. So Israel's in the wilderness for 40 years. Elijah's in the wilderness 40 days. Jesus is in the wilderness 40 days. We're calling us to 16. Call it baby steps. I don't think there's anything magical about 40 or 16 or 100. But I know that if we are not patient to take the time that is required, we will not see what God has for us. In fact, patience I was recently told that in the first three centuries of the church before it was the happening deal in the roman empire that the early church fathers talked about patience more than they talked about love that patience was the primary virtue of the early church and while all those passages that talk about the value and the virtue of testing guess what they say it produces it's not love it's patience patience is what testing produces patience is what is required And so the testing that Jesus undergoes is to produce patience. Well, now the meeting. You may have expected that Satan is the one that Jesus meets. And I did too, as I thought about this, trying to, you know, and I'm imposing my own categories. I get that, right? So I can't make it too neat. But the meeting is actually the last two things that are mentioned. Verse 13 He was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. In the wilderness, Jesus meets beasts and angels. Mark's the only one that tells us that. Mark's version is so unique, but this is the most unique element. He's the only one that tells us about the beasts. What's going on with that? pastor that I served with when I was doing youth ministry said that that verse is about youth ministry. (laughs) I think that's a terrible thing. Youth are wonderful, and I think it's a terrible thing to make that association, but that's all I had to go on for understanding why Mark mentioned wild animals, this terrible off-joke about teenagers. Teens, you're wonderful and delightful, I love you. There's something really significant going on with the beasts that I encountered this week. First of all, we've got to say beasts, wild animals is close to the mark, but beasts is really what's going on. And I think this beasts alludes to some things earlier in Scripture. First of all, it calls attention to Adam. Adam's first responsibility was to name all these creatures. And naming them implies authority and control and harmony, The animal kingdom was created by God as a gift to humanity, as a blessing. We were to get along with, and be at peace with the wild beasts. And so seeing Jesus with beasts kind of harkens back to Adam, because right now, we've got a bobcat on the loose in our neighborhood, we heard from the nature center up the street. So we're like, kids, you know, careful, don't go alone outside, right? And if you see a cat, it's probably not a cat, it's, you know, it could eat you, right? Like there's a certain fear of the beasts. But the other place that beasts show up is in Daniel. Beasts are a symbol of empire. All of the great empires of the world that are arrayed against the kingdom of God are portrayed as beasts. And Daniel gets thrown into a cave, into a pit full of beasts. And the next morning, They open up the cave and expect to find the mangled carcass of Daniel having been consumed by the beasts. But Daniel was with the beasts. You remember what Daniel says about how he survived? He's not a lion whisperer. He said, my God sent an angel that shut the mouth of the beasts. Mark's audience, Dr. Gombas talked about, it is going through a time of testing they're likely living under the reign of Nero, who is quite literally throwing followers of Jesus to the beasts. They need patience to endure this test, but they need more than patience. They need a reason to believe that patience will be rewarded. And I think Mark is saying, Jesus entered into the arena with the beasts. You see, whenever God speaks the truth over us, that our identity and place and security is found In God's love, the empire strikes back. See, I think this is why there's a necessary element to this. Go to the Jordan and be baptized and hear the affirmation of who you are in God, but expect that the adversary of all that God's kingdom represents is not going to let that stand. And you will need to be tested to see if you really trust what God is doing. All this might sound really harsh. What on earth? Can't God just like, you know, get rid of the beasts and leave us protected, right? Like, you know, where's the helicopter heavenly father when we need him? Putting us in danger? Because it's not just the beasts that Jesus meets. Angels were ministering to him. And the word for minister there is the word for waiting tables. They were feeding him. They were supplying Jesus with what he needed. And when we think about all the times that God's people found themselves in wildernesses facing testing, we also always find that they are never alone and they always have exactly what they need. The Israelites are given manna in the wilderness, exactly enough for the day, double on Friday so they've got enough for the Sabbath and can keep the Sabbath and enjoy God's gift of rest and it's exactly what they need. David speaks of this in the 23rd Psalm. When he's in the valley of deadly shadow, when he's in the wilderness, he says that my God sets a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When the adversary is there, when the beasts are prowling, I have everything that I need. That's how the Psalm opens. Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's impossible for me not to have what I need because that's the kind of God Yahweh is. And Elijah, my personal favorite, Before he is sent into the wilderness, an angel shows up twice and cooks him meals and says, go in the strength of this food for the journey is too great for you. You can't make this journey on your own, but the strength of this food will supply what you need for the next 40 days. And Elijah goes on a 40-day running marathon. And so is it any wonder that Paul, when he is talking about these wilderness experiences and what they have to teach us, says this to the believers in Corinth, no testing has overtaken you that is not common to humanity. God is faithful and he will not let you be tested beyond your ability, but with the testing will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When we face this test, if we embrace what it is that God is doing, we can be confident of two things, that we will be supplied with everything that we need, and God will not let the beasts harm us. They're there, they're scary, I'm sure Daniel did not sleep, I'm sure he was keeping eyes on the lions, but the lions didn't get him. And for Mark's audience that is literally facing down beasts to know that in the end, what Paul says in Romans is true that nothing, not even these beasts, can separate us from God's love. And so this is the test. This is our now what, again. Will we believe the voice from heaven when we are tested, when we are in these wildernesses of testing? Will we trust? that God is good, that God is for us, that God is and has been and always will be giving us everything that we need and the beasts are not to be feared. Will we believe that we are loved, that we are a delight to God, and that all God wants from us is relationship? Will we trust that? Because when the beasts are prowling and the adversary from within or without is speaking loudly, They are calling us to give in to fear and to give in to anger and to distance ourselves from God and others. This is the test. And this season, I've got to tell you, is having its way, certainly in society at large and in the church. This is why I'm calling us to embrace the wilderness so that our lives with those near us, the people that we live with, that we take these ornaments home to, the people in our congregation, our neighbors, our co-workers, that they will see us as marked and defined by the extravagant love of God who calls us into relationship as people with whom God is delighted. And they will not see us as people who only see beasts around them and are afraid and angry and seeing targets to be fought. God's got the beasts handled, and his angels assure us of that fact. So as we close, we're going to sing what is by far my favorite tradition at Christmas time here at Berean, which is this angel medley. And so we're going to celebrate the fact that God's angels show up at Advent and show up in our lives to still the beasts, to supply what we need from the hand of our God who loves us. God, we thank you that you are good, that you are for us, and that we can trust that. And God, as we are in a season of testing, we ask that we would receive what you so lavishly supply, that is sufficient for the moment, and that we would have patience to endure. We ask it because of Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. I pray you were blessed by what you heard. We hope you'll join us again next week, whether on this podcast, via our live stream, or in person. Until then, watch for our bonus episodes with reflections on this message and a preview of next week's message that drop throughout the week. Until then, may the God who loves us beyond our ability to think or imagine bless you, keep you, be gracious to you, look upon you with favor, and give you peace.